Amen. Thank you, Kissy, as always. And once again, great to have everybody with us. Um, I mentioned before that this morning's service was going to look a little bit different. And so at the beginning of those differences is that you've uh, got me for announcements instead of uh, Hannah, who does such a great job for us uh, week to week. But uh, as we are here on this Labor Day weekend, uh, heading into a brand new season for the fall, I wanted to take just a moment and give us a quick little update uh, as where we are as we head into fall and into the last quarter of 2020 uh, and the opportunity to put this year uh, behind all of us. You know, uh, here in California, of course, dealing with the coronavirus, we've been through roadmaps to resilience. We're now starting out on blueprints for a safer economy. And whatever the details of all of those things are, the one thing that's clear is that uh, COVID-19 continues to be with us, regardless of what uh, we think about that. Uh, it's a fact. It's impacting our lives um, you know, we as a church uh, continue uh, just sort of anxiously waiting for revised guidance from the county that will allow us to start up our in-person meetings again while continuing uh, our uh, online presence, of course. But, um, you know, during that time, we've talked about the fact, uh, even in the midst of this disruption to our normal routine, it's been such an encouragement to watch the way uh, the, the Lord is really um, just had the church focus on being the church and just all of those different things, the way that the church continues uh, reaching out to one another and ministering one to another and watching the spirit continuing to, to move within the body and watching people continue uh, to really use their gifts uh, for ministry, uh, even though things look a lot different than we're accustomed to them looking. It's really been um, kind of a season that we've been in where we as a church and as individual believers have really been forced to kind of uh, refocus and maybe even to redefine some of those essentials of our faith and the way that we uh, practice those things and live those out. Uh, and I continue to be confident that the Spirit is doing uh, an important work in us as the church and in us as individual believers. I believe that he is purifying his church and really preparing us for uh, the next season of ministry and the next uh, thing that he wants to do uh, as we reach out with the gospel of Jesus to people that so desperately um, need it. So in the midst of all of this, we as individual believers, uh, we're continuing, right? We're continuing uh, that ministry and we're continuing moving forward in our faith, continuing with uh, uh, the growth that we uh, look for in our faith and really continuing with that connection that's so critical uh, for us as believers baptized into the body of Christ uh, by the Spirit. So um, as we head into the fall, we have a series of sort of new opportunities uh, for people to continue to make those connections. Or maybe for you, you haven't really been a person that's been awfully connected outside of Sunday, Sunday mornings. Uh, and at this point, of course, we really see the need 
for that. So these are some different opportunities. Um, I'm going to go through them quickly. Understand all of these things will be listed on the church website. Uh, you'll see them come out this coming Wednesday. Uh, if you get the e-bulletin, they'll all be listed in there and the different ways that you can participate. But it's a series of some different meetings for uh, men and for women and for the youth and the kids and for the whole church. A lot of these different fall small groups are going to start off, of course, as Zoom meetings. Um, and as we are able, some of those may pivot into some small in-person gatherings as the guidance allows. Um, some of them will maintain even a, a virtual option at that point. But don't hesitate to jump in and to be involved uh, in these things. Most all of these meetings that I'm going to talk about today uh, will start up officially, not this coming week, but the week after that. So the week of September 13th. So we've got next week to kind of get ourselves prepared and get people signed up and uh, answer any questions that you uh, will have. And again, it'll all be on the church website. It'll be in the e-bulletin that's coming out. But for the men specifically, we're going to have a couple of different opportunities each week, um, kind of men's accountability groups, if you will, or prayer and share groups, just opportunities to get together with no specific agenda other than to check in with one another virtually and then to pray for one another and the things that we're all dealing with. So we're going to have uh, one of those on Tuesday mornings, one of those as well on Friday mornings, uh, both at nine o'clock. So if any of those times work out for you, and that's an easy on-ramp, kind of an easy way to continue to be connected. Um, the men will be involved in a, a book study. There will be a Wednesday morning, 7 a.m. Uh, book study, going through a, a Christian living book. I think right now they're going to do Why Grace Changes Everything by Pastor Chuck Smith. Um, and then maybe even start something else after that. So that's a great opportunity for the guys. Um, if you're interested, men, in a Bible study, there's a couple different Bible study groups, both happening on Thursday nights. Um, one at 6 o'clock, going through the book of First Timothy, and then another one Thursday nights at 6.30, um, going through actually the book of First John. So if you're interested in uh, a Bible study. So men, those are just a few different ways that you can participate in some things that we're trying to organize here through the church. And of course, just continuing to make those connections uh, individually with one another as you have been. So for the ladies, again, we have some prayer and share group kind of opportunities. Uh, one specifically, Tuesday nights at six, that'll be available for the ladies. And then another group, perhaps uh, sometime during the days uh, that Michelle may organize uh, if the daytimes work better. So some details coming out about uh, what the date and time for that might be. Uh, another book study for the ladies, probably again, starting with the book, Why Grace Changes Everything. That'll be Thursday mornings at 7.30. Um, a Bible study for the ladies, probably a daytime study, although possibly uh, in the evenings, but uh, just looking at the book of Jude. Um, so for the ladies, there are some outdoor activities, a couple of those that, uh, that Lana may be planning. Um, so ladies, some different opportunities just for you to be connecting with other women within the church body. Um, and then for the youth, I think they're going to continue their monthly uh, Zoom meetings on the second Sunday. Um, uh, Chris has been doing some great 
sort of devotional teachings that he's posting on the youth Instagram channel. Those will continue. Um, for the kids, they're going to start up a, uh, a second and fourth Sunday of every month, kind of a midday, uh, kind of a Grow Kids Zoom meetup with the kids and the parents and the teachers, and just an opportunity for those kids to see each other's uh, faces. Um, Heather continues each week to send out these fabulous kind of at-home lesson plans for the parents to participate with the kids in. Uh, and then as well, the teachers are doing some video teachings each week that are going out to families that are uh, super blessing. So those will continue. Um, for the whole church, um, we're going to continue a lot of the things we've been doing, continuing, of course, our Sunday morning uh, streaming, our Wednesday night uh, live streaming of both of those services. Uh, and I have to say, again, it's not the same as meeting in person. We understand that. And yet it's so exciting to see what it is that the Lord is doing and the way that he's engaging some people uh, from out of the area, people that otherwise wouldn't be able to participate with us. Uh, and so we're excited about the way that the Lord is extending our reach um, in those ways. Um, also, hopefully you're reading through our Focus 2020 through the Bible plan um, for this year. Uh, if you are, you know that we are about to sort of round the corner and enter into our final phase of that reading program. Um, if you're not reading through with us, this might be a great opportunity for you to jump in. Um, on October 1st, we turn the corner and we start in the New Testament. So uh, if the Old Testament maybe has been a little overwhelming for you, uh, on October 1st, we jump in in Matthew chapter 1, and we read through the entire New Testament between October 1st and December 31st. So if you're not yet uh, doing that with us, you can jump onto the church website and find out all the details, download the reading plan, sign up to even get some weekly um, reading updates that go with that. So we're continuing Focus 2020, continuing our Sunday nights out at the park from 5.30 to 7. Um, just a, an opportunity kind of informally to connect and just have a quick uh, encouragement from the Word devotionally. We will not be having that meeting tonight, though, because of the Labor Day uh, holiday weekend, and it's just um, too stinking hot to be outside in the park this evening. So stay home, stay cool tonight, um, but we'll pick that up again um, next week and see how far uh, we can run it toward the end of the year. Um, we continue our Monday night prayer fellowship, which has been a super blessing. Monday nights at 7 uh, on Zoom. We're not going to be doing that tomorrow because of Labor Day. Um, we're going to restart our equip meetings, our monthly ministry meetings, just equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. So you can look forward to some details coming out about that. Uh, as well as we move into the fall, as we have done every year for so many years, uh, Operation Christmas Child will be kicking off, and we'll get details out about that. We're continuing our quarterly refuge uh, outreach. Um, so once again, though we're not able to be together physically the way that we're used to, uh, there's no shortage of things that the Spirit is doing and continuing to stir up um, within us. So with the announcements out of the way, now on to something uh, really exciting that I've been really looking forward to. Uh, this morning here at Calvary Chapel Mountain View, we are going to ordain a new pastor to, uh, to our Calvary Mountain View family. Uh, you know, and as we've been studying through the book of Acts, it's been um, so encouraging, just learning so much about uh, the church and just what God intended 
for the church, uh, for its organization and for its operation. Uh, we've been watching just lived out in the scriptures the ways that the Lord calls and the way that he equips and the way that he re really uses his people in such unique and specific ways as the spirit uh, gifts and then uh, enables and empowers people uh, to accomplish this ministry, uh, this great commission that Jesus uh, is partnering with us in to get the gospel out. We've referred often to Paul's encouragement to the Ephesians. He says in Ephesians 4 that the, the Lord himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying or the, the building up of the body of Christ. We think about Paul's words uh, later in his letter to Titus. He said that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city. Now, in the Bible, the words pastor and elder and even the word bishop um, are often used interchangeably, and they all effectively mean the very same thing, and they refer to the very same position within the organization of the church. A bishop simply means an overseer. So the word bishop kind of describes what this man does in that he has responsibility for the oversight or for the leading of the local church. Uh, the word elder specifically uh, means mature and not necessarily only in age, but more so mature in the things of the Lord, mature in the things of the Spirit. And, and I think this word elder really describes the way with which this man does that overseeing, right? He does it with maturity. He does it with sensitivity to the Spirit. And the word pastor, my favorite one, means shepherd, and the word pastor, I think, describes who this man is, you know, what his heart is for the sheep. It describes the kind of care, the kind of oversight, the kind of leadership that this man provides. And that's to shepherd, gently shepherd the people of God, just as the good shepherd Jesus does with us. So Paul lays out, you know, all the qualifications for uh, these kinds of men in his first letter to Timothy, as well as in his letter to uh, Titus. And again, this morning, uh, we're so blessed to have the privilege to recognize uh, a man that we believe God has raised up uh, to join in to this ministry for our CCMV family. So uh, most all of you, of course, know Chris Andrade. Chris has been a part of the church here um, for at least the past four or five years. And during that time, he has served faithfully there alongside his wife, Heather, overseeing the children's ministry. And Chris has really been functioning kind of as a, a pastor to the children and a pastor to the parents of the children's ministry. Uh, a year ago, officially, uh, Chris took over the youth ministry. So out of the frying pan into the fire of the youth ministry. And it's been such a blessing really to watch uh, his heart for the youth. Just watch the way that he pours into them and to watch the way that they respond to him and his ministry. And more recently, uh, we've all enjoyed uh, Chris's really fresh 
approach as he's participated in this, the teaching rotation for our Wednesday night regroup studies. And it's such a, again, it's such a blessing and such an encouragement to see his zeal and the energy and the passion that he has, this fresh perspective that he brings, I think, to the scriptures and to the ministry here, um, balanced with what I just see as a, a sense of really developing wisdom in the things of the Lord. And most importantly, it's been such um, an encouragement for me personally just to see the way that God is growing Chris's heart and giving him this burden really as a shepherd of God's people, no matter what age they are. He's, um, he's a young man who's present. He makes himself available and he has really the heart uh, of a servant and a love for God's people. So with all that, I'm going to ask, I'm sure, a very embarrassed Chris to come up and, uh, and to join me uh, up here. Chris, it is, uh, it's good to have you this morning. Um, like I said, I, I've been so encouraged just watching the way that the Lord uh, is preparing you and uh, really exciting, um, just exciting to think about the things that he has in store for you and to watch. Uh, I'm just sort of sitting back and, and watching as a spectator, really, for the ways that the Lord um, wants to use you. Um, we've talked about the fact that, of course, um, to serve as a pastor of God's people, it's a high calling, it's a, it's a privilege, it's such an honor. Um, and I know that, that you understand that, and I know that both you and Heather uh, have done such a great job in, um, in ministering and, and really, uh, again, just to see what the Lord has in store for both of you as a couple um, is exciting. I know that you're going to continue to serve the body well. Um, as I proposed, Chris... Um, you know, for ordination to the other pastors here at Calvary Mountain View. Um, I'm happy to report there was unanimous <laughs> agreement amongst the elders. I didn't have to do any campaigning at all. And most often, those people that we want to recognize as uh, candidates for ordination or recognize for, you know, pastoral ordination, they're, they're men who are already serving, uh, men who uh, you know, the body would look at and say, well, I, I kind of thought he already was a pastor because he's already functioning like one. And I think that's what we see uh, in Chris. So all of the other uh, elders, the pastors here at Calvary Mountain View are in full support of what we're doing here this morning. Unfortunately, um, Pastor Mike uh, couldn't be with us today, but um, felt so strongly that he wanted you to know that he's uh, behind you, that he sent along a quick video, which we can watch uh, now. Hey, Chris, just wanted to express to you uh, my uh, how sorry I am that I can't be there in person to celebrate and to be a part of your ordination as a, as a pastor at Calvary Chapel Mountain View. I'd be there, man, if, if it wasn't just for some um, just family uh, stuff that came up, but just wanted to, to express to you just the joy and the excitement I have for what the Lord has for you and, and Heather as you guys uh, kind of confirm and accept the calling and the ministry that the Lord has given you towards the people of Mountain View and as also unto the Lord and uh, really looking forward to being able to, to serve alongside you, brother. And I'm super um, 
excited, stoked combination of those two things to see what the Lord's going to do next in your life as he continues to grow you in this calling. And uh, love you, man. And uh, love you, Mountain View. And talk with you all later. Stoked. I think stoked was the word that I was looking for. It was just a little bit out of my reach. So we appreciate uh, Pastor Mike for, for throwing that in there. No, we are excited. We are stoked to see what it is that the Lord is going to do with you. So I'm going to invite Pastor Jeff to come up and, uh, and we're going to lay hands on Chris. I'm also going to invite uh, Pastor Charlie Black to come up. That uh, Charlie is Chris's uh, father-in-law and a longtime Calvary Chapel pastor here in the area, having served on staff um, at uh, a couple of the different churches here uh, locally. So uh, we're excited, Charlie, to have you with us and just participate in, uh, in what is just a, a super blessed uh, time. We're stoked to have you, Charlie, to be with us. So let's go ahead, Chris. We're going to uh, pray for you. So, And if you at home would maybe just even extend an arm and uh, just join us in faith uh, just to pray for, uh, for Chris. So, Father, we are, are so thankful, Lord, um, for the way that you provide shepherds for your people. Lord, the way that you equip, the way that you call, the way that you uh, raise up men to take care of the spiritual needs of your precious flock. Lord, we are particularly thankful this morning for the way that you've done that, Lord, in Chris's life. Lord, um, we're, we're so... Um, Lord, we're just so in awe of the, the individual and unique calling that you um, place on a man, Lord, and the way that you uh, equip him in, um, in not just knowledge, Lord, but in wisdom and supernaturally, Lord, as you develop a heart within an individual, Lord, that reflects the heart of your son and the heart that he has for each one of us as sheep. And so, Lord, we thank you for Chris. Lord, we thank you for the plans that you have for him, Lord, the plans that you have for Heather, Lord, as they step into this uh, calling really together. Father, we pray uh, for Heather first and foremost, Lord, that you would just uh, empower and equip her to support, Lord, and, to, um, and just to be there right alongside Chris uh, as he steps into this role that you've called him to. Father, we pray uh, for him that you would supernaturally empower and enable him in this ministry, Father, that, that uh, truly it would not be by might nor by power, but it would be simply by your spirit, Lord, that you, um, that you enable him to do this work. And so we pray that he would grow, Lord, in the things that you've begun in him, Lord. We know that you'll be faithful to continue to equip him. And Lord, we pray that you would help him to understand the, um, the wonderful mantle of responsibility, Lord, the, the weight of this calling, Lord, and yet to experience the joy uh, that comes from being used by you in the lives of your people. So we thank you for Chris, Lord. Uh, we ordain him this morning as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord, here at Calvary Chapel Mountain View. And we're so thankful and we praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 This is the point. Everybody's clapping at home <laughs> at this point. I can, I can hear it happening now. So, um, so uh, extra special this morning. Not only did we get to be a part of uh, this wonderful um, moment uh, in Chris's life and in the life of our church, 
but maybe even better than that, we're going to get to hear from Chris this morning. He's going to share the word with us uh, today. So uh, with that said, I'm going to turn it over to you, Chris, and I'll be back up to, uh, to rescue you at the end and to lead us in communion this morning. So let's welcome Chris. Thanks. All right. Well, I'm uh, glad you could all tune in. I come down off that little high of <laughs> and slightly embarrassing time behind the camera, but we're going to get into God's word today. We're going to be in John chapter 2, the first 12 verses, so verses 1 through 12. Uh, so let's pray before we get into God's word and uh, we'll get right into that. So Lord, we thank you so much for your word. What I'm thankful for uh, your word, because Lord, you show us, you speak to us in your word, Lord, that uh, you have something to say to us. You have words to guide us and direct us, to show us uh, how to walk this walk with you, Lord. So, Lord, we're just uh, thankful for you, praying uh, uh, for those families that have been evacuated for the fires still, praying over that, praying that that gets taken care of, and uh, praying uh, for everyone at home with the heat, uh, praying that everyone stays cool. I pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So like I said, we're going to be in John chapter 2, the first 12 verses. Um, and this is where Jesus' first miracle takes place. It's going to be at the wedding at Cana. Have you ever been to a wedding? I think pretty much everyone has been to a wedding before. But if you haven't, uh, let me go over a few things. We'll talk about what a wedding is like. Because if we're speaking truthfully, they can be pretty fun. But they can also be pretty crazy and out of control, even stressful at times for the bride, for the groom, for the father-in-law, the mother-in-law, for pretty much everyone involved at some point may have some stress that's involved in the wedding. And, you know, you'll have friends, you'll have family, you'll have guests, your parents invited. You'll have a DJ probably spinning some tunes. We'll have some appetizers. We'll have some dinner. We'll have some party favors. And at our wedding, we had a snack table, dessert table, um, which was a huge hit. Um, but this wedding is not like the kind of weddings we have now, right? A little different. And this is the setting for Jesus' first miracle. And there was a major crisis during this wedding, as we'll see next. So we'll be in the first two verses right here. Um, in verse 1, here it goes. It says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. In verse 2, it says, now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. So Jesus and his disciples, they're invited to a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Now, John, uh, the apostle, when he was writing this letter, felt like he had to uh, be specific here. Because Cana of Galilee is, is really a specific term, right? But that's because there's another Cana and it's in Syria. So, he was trying to make it very specific for, for readers and for us to understand where exactly this miracle took place. So John takes, us, takes some time to help us understand where that's located. Now, in any town, big or small, a wedding is a big event. It involves a lot of people. And back then, it involved the whole village, the whole town, the whole city. Everybody was invited and everyone was coming. And Jesus and his disciples, uh, and his disciples, they're invited as well, and, and but also Mary, Jesus' mother. And in Bible times, 
culturally, they'd actually last a whole week, a wedding, generally. They'd last a really long time, right? And in Jewish custom, they'd actually start on a Wednesday. And actually, uh, the newly married couple, they wouldn't go on a honeymoon. They'd stay home or at their parents' house or at their relative's house. And their visitors, those, uh, those people that maybe couldn't make it, or even the people that probably went to the wedding, they would come over and they would congratulate them. And they would be wearing their bridal clothes still. Um, so thinking about that, uh, uh, wives and husbands, you're still wearing your bridal clothes a few days after the wedding. So <laughs> got to make sure those are cleaned. Um, but weddings were a really big event, right? They're really important because back then there was a lot of poverty, right? There was a lot of hard work, right? It wasn't like, you know, we can work from home, you know, and chill on our computer and, uh, and do our work, right? You know, these guys were hard at work you know, in their vineyards, in their fields, doing various kinds of things. So a wedding was an occasion that few would try to miss. Most would try to make it. And like I said, I had been to a lot of weddings. And it's something that you notice as a believer. I can tell that there is a difference. You may, may, you may actually notice this too. There's a difference between a wedding where Jesus is invited and a one where he isn't. What does that mean? Well, to invite Jesus to your wedding, into your life, can cause some issues, right? But it's overall a blessing for that couple, for that man, for that woman, for that family who invites Jesus into their lives. Now, in these next two verses, we're going to explore that. Because when you invite Jesus to a wedding, you invite Jesus into your life, things, things can get a little sticky. Things can get kind of stressful. Things might, might, might not work out right away. We're not promised uh, a perfect day every single day, right? So in verses three and four, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. In verse four, Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So the wine runs out of this at this wedding. It seems like, for us, not a huge deal, right? We have Safeway. We got all these stores around us. There's Bebmo, right? There's probably other options. But back then, wine was a big part of a wedding feast. So we want to remember that because it's not like, you know, there were all 24-7 hour uh, uh, stores and places you could go to with endless choices, right? And can you imagine going to a wedding that lasted all day and all night and for several days and running out of wine or running out of drinks and food and all that kind of stuff, people would not be very happy. <laughs> that would not be a very good, very good uh, look for you, right? And I actually read about an instance that during this time, way back in Bible times, not right now, <laughs> someone was actually sued because they didn't have enough food for their guests. Think about that. Someone brought a lawsuit because they didn't have enough food at the wedding for the guests. So it's safe to say, Running out of wine here was not a good thing. It was bad. It was a bad look. Because like I said, wine was considered essential at a wedding feast. But not even just that. Culturally, the rabbis believed that without wine, there is no joy. Without wine, there's no joy. Think about that. So not even just the physical aspect of we just ran out of wine. We have nothing else to drink. It's also like 
wine symbolizes joy. So when you run out of wine, it's like saying, wow, this, this new marriage, this couple, they must not be happy. They must, uh, or maybe they're going to have a really short marriage, you know, or it's going to be fraught with difficulty and stress. It's not going to be a blessed union. And when I say joy, when, when the Bible talks about joy right here, or when I'm talking about how there's no joy with, with wine or without wine, um, it doesn't mean like getting drunk off wine because drunkenness was frowned upon, right? And, and the wine they drink also was two parts wine and three parts water. So it's not like wine we have now, right? The percentage was low. <laughs> Anyways, like I was saying, so this couple... This, this incident of running out of wine would likely stay with them their entire life as a couple, right? Because let's remember, everyone in their community was invited to these weddings. Everyone, family, friends. These are people they've grew up with. And then, like I was saying earlier, people have brought lawsuits, you know, for not having enough, not providing enough wine or food or et cetera, right? So... Remembering that, that they could live with that shame for the rest of their lives. And then notice here too, Mary's there, right? Mary's a wet, kind of like a wedding coordinator. That's why she's so upset about it. I think if you read that, you can see that it's implied that she was a part of the wedding party or, or a part of coordinating something because she was obviously upset that the wine was on, right? And then she orders these servants next um, on what to do, right? So... It's implied that she's a part of that. And back to my point earlier, right? When I was saying, when you invite Jesus into your life, things happen, right? Well, when Jesus comes into our lives as believers, we can have this false expectation, right? That everything's going to be perfect, you know? That we'll be blessed with fame, with wealth, with health every day, you know? And if we don't, it's because we don't have enough faith. Well, that's false. That's a fallacy. That's totally unbiblical and it's not what's saying what god is saying here too when we run out of wine we can look around us and in anxiety try to fix ourselves and fix the situation but that's not a solution because here matthew 28 20 jesus promises this teaching them to observe all things that i have commanded you this is jesus speaking and lo i am with you always even to the end of the age Jesus says that to the disciples, and he's saying that to us too. He will be with us even until the end of the age. So no need to worry. And then in 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So don't worry. When the wine runs out, don't worry. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Remember that. Hold on to the promises that we have in Scripture, right? When you're reading God's Word, He speaks to us, right? It's really true. When you read God's Word, you're feeling down. Read God's Word. If you're feeling happy, read God's Word. God has something to say to you, right? He wants to encourage you. He wants to correct us. He wants to show us that love that a parent shows their child. A loving parent shows a child those things, right? Encourages us when we're struggling. So when the rhyme runs out, as we notice, who does she turn to? Does she turn to her friends? No. She turns to Jesus. And isn't that great advice for us too? When things are going bad, who should we turn to? We should turn to the Lord. 
He's the one who encourages us. He's the one who says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. No one else can say that. No one can say that they're always going to be with us, even until the end of the age, right? Just like in Matthew 28, 20, like I was saying earlier. Now, personally, that's how I got saved. When I was growing up, uh, I struggled with a lot of things. I struggled with suicide. I struggled with depression. I struggled with addiction. And I was in junior high. I was pretty young. And I was feeling totally at or near the bottom of just anything. Because I was dealing with uh, my parents' divorce. I was dealing with school and all these expectations, different things going on. And I felt the weight of that on my shoulders every day. But you see, I was raised in the church. And I'm thankful for that. I'm actually thankful for everything that's happened in my life. Because without any of it, I would not be here today. But anyways, so I was that I was that kid that was raised in church, and but I was also the one that you would see in the parking lot in the car, just chilling while church is going on. I didn't even go inside initially. I just stayed inside the car, just chilling. But eventually, when I got to that bottom, I started to think I should just go inside. Why am I waiting inside this car? Because I feel sad and stuff. I should go inside and at least be with my family, be with my mom or, or my dad, right? And it was during, during school, uh, when I was in junior high, that I was feeling really low, probably the most depressed I had ever been. But because my parents had taken me to church so consistently uh, since I was a kid, I knew who to turn to. And I knew because at school, I had started praying for Jesus to heal me, to save me from all that pain I was carrying. And he did. But that didn't end all the trials in my life. I want to make that clear. <laughs> but he gave me that hope. He, When I turned to him, he forgave my sins. But Jesus, like I said, didn't take away those trials. He was, But he was with me through all of them even until the end of the age, right? So an encouragement to you parents who are struggling with kids who don't want to go to the church with you or who are maybe not interested, right? Take your kids to church. Take them, but also tell them about who Jesus is. Give them that testimony, you know. Tell them that, he loves them because when they reach that bottom, like I did, they're going to reach out to someone or something. And I pray and hope that it's Jesus. So let's keep it up. Let's stick with it. Be encouraged. Stay with it. Be faithful to that. God knows. All right. God knows. So back to the Bible points, <laughs> back to where we were in, in John chapter 2. Mary's reaching out to Jesus for help. Now, let's remember, too, this. This is Jesus' first miracle. It hasn't happened yet, but this is the setting of his first miracle. It's not like he had done any previously. This is the very first one. So Mary's really concerned, right? And he turn, she turns to Jesus, and Jesus replies. And then he says, sounds good, Mom. I got your back. I'll take care of it. Nah, he doesn't say that, right? <laughs> he does not say that at all. 
but he responds in a way that's kind of unexpected. And for us in the 21st century, it sounds pretty harsh. But I'm going to explain kind of what this phrase means when he talks about it in this, in this verse. So he says, Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So this is like an example, too. When you're reading God's word, sometimes you come upon phrases or words where you're like, I have never heard that before. Or this doesn't make sense. And that's where I think that that further Bible study, that further study into God's word really helps you. And it helps kind of dispel that uh, thinking that it's, oh, this must be wrong or this must be this way. But reading and further study, the God, God will reveal that to you and show you. Um, there's a lot of really great resources out there too um, to help with that. But anyways, um, when Jesus says woman, he's using a respectful term. It's like madam or like lady, which is also interesting too, because this is Jesus's mom. And you can interpret this, him saying that as a sign that Jesus is, Jesus has a new relationship with his mother. Now his ministry is starting now. It's not the same. He's not a child anymore. He's not, he's now uh, uh, living um, and, and walking in, in, in his ministry now. And then Jesus' next words, right? What does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So we'll focus on that first part. What does your concern have to do with me? Well, that sounds pretty harsh, right? But it's actually a really common phrase at the time. And it basically means don't worry. You don't understand what's going on. Leave it to me and I'll take care of this in my own way. So this is an example of how some terms, some words in Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek don't exactly translate into English, right? So this is the gist of what he's trying to say, that don't worry, I'll take care of this in my own way. Leave it to me, right? That's pretty much what he's saying here. But then he also says, my hour has not yet come. And when he says that, I think he's referring to his submission to the Father, his submission to the Father's will in all things, right? Because who determines the hour, right? The Lord, the Father, Father God, right? Um, it's not the Son that determines that, right? He's totally submissive to what God's timing is for all things. Not Mary's, right? Mary's like, I need it now, right now. But he's like, my hour has not yet come yet. But I think that God was revealing, revealed it to him that it was time. It was time for him to start. Now, later on in the book and in multiple times uh, throughout the New Testament, uh, Jesus talks about his hour, right? And I wanted to kind of focus on that for a minute. Um, in John 17, 1, John chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you. Because Jesus' hour is really the time of his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection, right? Now, these next few verses that we're going to dive into, uh, we're going to talk about what it means to follow Jesus even when it doesn't make sense. Because when you invite Jesus into your life, things can change, right? Sometimes the wine runs out, like I was saying earlier. But now we're going to see what it's like to follow the Lord even when it doesn't make any sense. So in verses 5 through 8, here we go. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. So Mary's talking about Jesus. She's telling the servants this. Um, in verse 6, now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. 
In verse 7 it says, Jesus said to him, them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And verse 8 he says, and he said to them, draw some out now and say it to the master of the feast. And take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. So let's focus on that first verse. Verse 5, right? His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Another great little kernel of wisdom here from Mary. Uh, whenever he says to you, do it. Great advice for us, right? Jesus gives these, these servants very specific direction. And for these servants, they have no idea what it's for. And they must have been totally confused too because while well, filling, the, filling the pots with water makes sense until Jesus starts to ask them to, to draw them out, draw it out and take it to the master of the feast and have him taste it. So... The servants are kind of like, okay, we'll fill these up with water. And so they follow his direction and they obey. They follow what Jesus says. And oftentimes when we invite Jesus into our lives, when we start believing in him, following him, he'll give us direction um, in his word, right? God's word, that's where he primarily speaks to us and shows us. But sometimes as Christians, we can say to ourselves, this does not make any sense. Or are you sure that's what it says? Are you sure that's what God's telling you? I'm not sure about that. Kind of like questioning what we're being told to do. But Jesus has a plan here, right? It's not like Mary went and told him, um, you know, asked him for help. And then he says, what, and she says, whatever he says to you, do it. And then Jesus is like, hold on a second. I didn't plan for this. Um, let me take out my notebook and see what my notes say um, and see what the plan's supposed to be. Or maybe there's a YouTube tutorial on changing water into wine, right? Jesus didn't say any of that, right? He had a plan. He knew what he was going to do. And the servants just had to follow his plan. And that's for us too, right? Sometimes we have no idea what's going on. We don't know how this is going to work out. But God knows. God has a plan. And these servants were told to follow Jesus' instructions, and they did. They were obedient. They were faithful to what Jesus had asked them to do. And it's interesting, too, coming back to that point with Mary, too. This is Jesus' first miracle. It's not like this was later on in the ministry where, like, everyone kind of knew about Jesus. They were like, okay, you can do some miracles. This was, like, new for them. They had no reason to, to trust him or to even do what he said. But they did anyways. Amazing, these servants, man. And then in verse 6, the next verse we notice, it's it's talking about the six water pots of stone, right? Now they were used in the purification of the Jews, and they contained about 20 or 30 gallons apiece. So let's talk about what these stone jars are for. They're used for two reasons. First, they were used to clean the feet when you would enter a house because it's not like roads back then were paved and really nice, you know, stone and, you know, all that. If, if there was a dry day, there was dirt and dust everywhere. Uh, so you're walking in sandals and you're getting that everywhere. If you've ever walk, worn sandals and walked through sand, um, you can't avoid the sand. It's going to be everywhere in your sandals, right? Just like that, right? Think about that. Picture that. And then on a wet day, they would be covered in mud. So sandals back then also, they were basically just a sole with some straps to tie onto your feet. So it's not like they were really like the sandals we got now. And then secondly, 
the water was used to wash their hands. But the Jews had a very specific way to wash hands. Very ritualistic. Uh, strict Jews would wash their hands before a meal and between each course. And I think that's kind of triggering for us because we have to wash our hands a lot right now. But we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, so think about that. You get the appetizer. You wash your hands before you eat the appetizer. Then you eat the appetizer. Then you wash your hands again. And then you get the main course. Then you eat the main course. And then you wash your hands again. And you wash your hands between every single meal. And that was kind of the purpose of that. Because if you didn't wash your hands or wash your feet when you entered the house or partook in a meal, um, you were pretty much unclean to the Jews. So that's the purpose of these six water pots. So we kind of understand that part. Now in verse 7, he says, Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. In verse 8, it says, and he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast and they took it a few things here so in verse 7 they fill the water pots with water right they follow what jesus says but they don't just do that they fill it up to the brim if you've ever filled a cup all the way up to the tippy top that's what these guys did they went all the way up with the water which is interesting too but we'll get into that in a minute now it's talking in verse 8 it's talking about the master of the feast the master of the feast is basically like the head waiter the one who's in charge of seating guests making sure the food and everything's out and everything's doing well right so you can think of him like not really the chef but the guy that's in charge of the food and the seating and they fill it up to the brim and it really couldn't take any much more water than that because also something to note this was really hard work that Jesus was asking these servants to do because each of these six pots contain 20 to 30 gallons of water. So around 120 to 180 gallons of water was needed to fill each of them or all of them all together. And let's not forget they had to get water from like a well. It's not like um, they had running water in the sink, in the kitchen, right? <laughs> not true. Did not have that. So they would have had to hoist up buckets of water to fill these six water pots. And it doesn't tell you how much, how full they were, if they were already full or if they were empty, but they were filling these water pots with water and it was really hard work. Work, And the servants could have objected, right? They could have said, no, we're not doing that. We're only paid, paid to do the food stuff, you know? But they just simply follow uh, what Jesus says and faithfully do what he said. I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever felt like you're, you weren't getting anywhere, even though you were doing exactly what Jesus had told you? Because that's, that's when we learn what faithfulness is really all about. Because sometimes we're told to do something that makes no sense, like these servants. And it may even be that you're, you're going backwards, not forwards, right? You may have to take a few steps back in order to accomplish God's will sometimes. Because... What was happening here at the wedding? It's not like they ran out of water. They had water. They ran out of wine. So these servants were probably like, yeah, we're doing it. We're doing it. And they're like, so where's the wine? <laughs> you know, because that was a really huge deal. And serving the Lord is actually even just simply put as this. Whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever the Lord says to you, do it. And these servants do just as Jesus asks. 
They fill the pots with water, and Jesus tells them to draw some water out, and they bring it over to the man in charge of the feast. And so in this last part, we're going to see the blessing of knowing the Lord, of knowing Jesus, because there is a definite blessing from that. Now, from verses 9 through 12, and then we'll close. So in verse 9 says, When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. He's like, hey, come over here, come over here. Probably not expecting what was going to happen. He was like, I don't know if I'm in trouble. And then it says in verse 10, And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, but you have kept the good wine until now. And in verse 11, it says, This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And verse 12, After this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. So that first part, the master of the feast, the head waiter, tastes the, wa tastes the water. It's not water anymore. It's been changed into wine. He tastes the wine, and he's like, where did this come from? Because generally, you would put out the really good wine first, right? The best stuff first, because your guests would be like, wow, this is great. Let's see, you know, this is great stuff. Let's hang out. Let's stay longer, right? And then later on, okay, here's the, here's the diet Pepsi. Here's the diet stuff. <laughs> Could take that instead. All right. So that's kind of the custom here. And it's really interesting that that's how it turned out. Um, but I think this miracle affected a lot of people, right? There was a lot of people involved in this wedding. Um, but this miracle, like most of Jesus' miracles, had some intent behind it, right? There was obviously a purpose behind it. And I think that there are three groups of people in this wedding that this miracle was really directed towards, that really affected them, if we can examine that. The first people. The couple. The married couple, Right? Because if we're going back to where we, what we were talking about earlier, they were spared that shame, that embarrassment of not being able to provide for their guests. And adding to that, Jesus knows what you're dealing with, right? Jesus knows that sometimes the wine runs out. But like I was saying earlier, he is with you until the end of the age. He's with you during it. It's not like Jesus leaves when you're in the middle of a trial and in the middle of when something's not working out. He doesn't do that. And then the disciples, right? Because the disciples were there. They were part of it. They saw what was going on. And they had to be just as amazed as everyone else was. That at least were a part of it. Because not everyone really saw, knew the miracle had actually happened probably. Um, but they just, and they had just started following Jesus too when this miracle occurred. And Jesus displayed his glory, his power over the material, over the physical world, right? By changing water into wine. And they got to see that. And that's also mentioned here in verse 11, right? The beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So the purpose of that was for them to believe in Jesus, to see his glory. But lastly, I really think the main group here is the servants. And I'll tell you why. That verse, right, when it says, when the master feasts, when he tastes the water, you see that little, that little caveat, little part right in the middle? 
But the servants who had drawn the water knew because the master of feast didn't know what was going on. But see, it's because the servants were there the entire time and they participated. They shared in what Jesus had done. They saw it from beginning to end. And at the end, when they see the master of feast doing that and going, wow, this is great wine. And they're like, what, 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 what? You know, like they were totally shocked by that. But can you imagine that? You got to share in that? So awesome. And they followed what Jesus had told them to do. And they were blessed by following Jesus, but also by being faithful, by obeying him, obeying his directions. And also interesting too, that wine was better than anything they had had that whole night, that whole day. In fact, the master of the feast, he's also commenting that like normally you would put the good stuff out first, but you say the best for last. But the servants got to see it all and the Lord cares for you. And just because you're in the background doing sound, doing lights, uh, cleaning up, sweeping up, um, just doing all that stuff that has to get done on a Sunday or a Wednesday or whenever you meet for church, just because you're doing that doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't see you. The Lord sees you. He saw these servants. He saw the couple, the married couple. He saw his disciples, right? And he'll see you. Keep on serving him. And you're going to be blessed for your obedience. Now, in closing, we have covered a lot of material. There's a lot here to read and really dive into. But I want to go over a few things before we close. And like I said, you know, this was the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the very first miracle he ever did. And what a profound event like a profound thing that he did. He turned water into wine, which in and of itself is amazing. But there was a miracle for all the people involved too. Because Jesus can take that old life of sin, who we used to be, and turn us into a new creation and change us. Just like he changed water into wine, God can change us from old man to new man. And like it says in Paul's letters to, Roman, to the Romans in uh, chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But like I was saying earlier, we have to invite Jesus into our lives. We have to believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead and will be saved. And when we do that, sometimes we run out of wine, right? So there's an anxiety. Like, wasn't stuff supposed to get better? But it is better because, well, Jesus promises us that he will be with us throughout. When the wine runs out, Jesus will still be there. So uh, in closing, um, we're going to pray. We're going to have communion. We're going to have uh, one last song. So let's pray. And uh, we'll get started with communion. So, Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for your word. Lord, that you speak to us, but Lord, that you give us your grace and your mercy. Lord, that the old man, the way we used to be, that old way of life, living for ourselves, we can be done with that. And that you can change us. Sometimes we think we can never get change. We'll, we'll never change. We'll always be the same. We'll never 
amount to, to anything. But the Lord sees you and knows you and loves you and wants to forgive you of your sin. Simply believe in him and you will be saved. Be like those servants who just followed what Jesus said and then they were blessed because of their obedience. So thank you guys. In your name, amen. All right. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. This is also the part where they're clapping and people are just applauding for you. It's awesome. So awesome. What a great word and what a great reminder uh, just about those servants and the fact that they knew what was going on because they had their eyes on Jesus. And so what a great uh, and simple reminder, especially as think as we head into the fall and as we continue uh, during this time, if you want to be the first one to know what it is the Lord's doing, keep your eyes on him and be part of what it is uh, that he's doing. Um, as Pastor Chris mentioned, we're going to uh, end our time together um, by observing communion together. And it's something that we do monthly, um, and yet we don't often get to take the time uh, to do it, um, maybe like we should. And so this morning, um, because, uh, because we have a little extra time, I wanted to take some time um, just to really go through and kind of linger in this moment together. We're going to take the elements together instead of just taking them on our own. So again, if you don't have the elements with you yet, now would be a great time uh, to run to the kitchen and see what you can rustle up. Um, just some crackers and some juice or whatever it is that you have will do because it's more about what the elements represent than um, than the elements. And of course, what the elements represent, the juice, of course, first and foremost, represents the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Bible is very clear. Um, you know, we know uh, medically that without blood, there can be no physical life. And it says in Leviticus chapter 17, uh, the Lord declares early on that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And of course, that's just as, you know, just as it's true in the Bible, it's true in our own uh, physical bodies. If we don't have blood, we don't have life. And blood, in the same way, you know, we think about blood and it blood flows through the Bible just as it does flow through our veins. You know, it's the blood of Christ that keeps our Christian faith uh, really alive. And you may have heard it said that if you cut the Bible anywhere, and it will bleed. And so much so that over 427 times in the Bible, um, blood is referred to or it's spoken of, it's expounded upon in the scriptures. And so we see this is a major theme for us to understand, you know, without the blood, uh, that precious gospel that Pastor Chris just uh, declared to us, without the blood, the gospel is dead. And without that, we're deprived of that eternal life that's offered to us. Um, we know Jesus said in Matthew 26 that this is the blood of the new covenant, right, which is shed for many for the remission of of sins. Paul would add that according to the law, almost all things are purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. He also explained to the Colossians that we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. 
And then, of course, Peter declared, he said that we're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And then, of course, the Apostle John agreed with both Peter and with Paul and with Jesus when he wrote that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. So it's an astounding thought, right, that this blood of Jesus could be the thing that cleanses us of all of those sinful mistakes, those sinful actions of our past. And it's that same blood that now presents us clean, right? We're washed in that precious blood of Christ. We're seen pure and holy now by the Father. There's a, a contemporary Christian song that sums it all up well. It, it says that his gaze always passes through rose-colored glasses every time he looks on my heart. And that's the way that I want to be seen, right? That's the way that we all need to be seen. We need to be seen through that lens of the blood of Jesus, right? So when we think about it, it's amazing, right? It's worth spending a little bit of time on a Sunday morning to, to think through. And so knowing that Jesus gave us this time and he said that we should do this, right? We should remember him and we should remember his broken body and his shed blood and that we should do it regularly. And so I want to take the elements this morning together as a church body before we close in that last song. And as we do, we think back to that scene that's depicted for us in the Gospels that that night before Jesus would be crucified, he gathered together his disciples into that upper room to, to share a meal. And his heart was to encourage them and to try to help them to understand what it was that was about to happen to him. And as we looked at before in, in Matthew 26, 26, it says that as they were eating, Jesus took bread, he blessed it and broke it, and he gave it to the disciples and he said, take, eat. He said, this is my body. So we want to take the bread now together, remembering that broken body of Jesus Christ sacrificed for us on the cross. So let's take the, bre the bread together. Jesus continues that same night. It says in verse 27 that then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And so when we take the cup, we take it remembering, thanking the Lord Jesus for that precious blood that accomplishes this forgiveness for us. So let's take the cup together this morning. You know, we do this and we, we think about this scene and we imagine the disciples that evening and how they didn't understand. They were struggling to, to comprehend, right? This was before the cross, this was before the resurrection. And then we think about how they would look back 
how the disciples would look back after the cross, after the resurrection, after the illumination that the Spirit would give to them, how they would look back at this event and how they would cherish any opportunity to really remember the sacrifice that Jesus, just in the same way that we have the opportunity to look back and to cherish and to remember it together uh, even this morning. So let's pray, and then we're going to worship the Lord. So, Father, how we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for all it is that you have done here and accomplished, Lord. Um, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that it brings. Lord, we thank you for communion, Lord. We thank you for... Um, Lord, this, this thing that you have ordained and established, Lord, that we would do to remember this sacrifice, Lord, of your son Jesus on the cross. And so we do it, Lord, this morning, and we do do it uh, remembering, Lord. We do it with thankful hearts. And we do it, Lord, praying that it would never become um, common to us, Lord, not just something, a, a ritual that we do, Lord, but, but truly a representation of a spiritual reality, Lord, that, um, that even we struggle to understand on this side of the cross. And so, Father, we pray that you'd make this truth real to our hearts today. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you for your word that Pastor Chris shared with us, for the hope that the gospel brings to us, Lord. And we, um, we thank you, Lord, for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys uh, today. Pray that he would pour out his grace upon you this week. Um, stay cool this afternoon, and we will catch you on Wednesday for the Regroup live stream. All right, God bless you guys.